and for lack of a better title, we're just calling it Faith Seminar. Um, that's, uh, I figured that was general enough to kind of catch anything that we wanted to do in that, uh, uh, pertaining to that subject. Mark chapter 11 is uh, a story of Jesus cursing the fig tree. Uh, this takes place um, uh, five days before he goes to the cross. And uh, the fact that it's the last week of his uh, uh, earthly ministry, his time here on the earth is significant to me for a couple of reasons. One is uh, the disciples heard him curse the fig tree. He said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And then the next morning they came by and saw that it, the fig tree was dried up from the roots. We'll start reading in, uh, in verse 21. And Peter calling to remembrance, in other words, remembering what he said the day before, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Now, I've uh, mentioned this before, but, uh, but it really struck me. And not too long ago, it struck me about this, uh, this event when I, when I thought about it in, in relation to the time uh, of Jesus' crucifixion and how close it was to his going to the cross. Because if, uh, if you know uh, anything about uh, uh, the healing ministry of Jesus, and if you're a, a regular attender here in uh, healing school, you know what an emphasis Jesus put on faith. You know uh, the, the times in the scriptures that it said that Jesus' power could not work in certain places because the people wouldn't believe. And, uh, and how he tried to overcome that by teaching and, and um, uh, ministering to the people, teaching them so that um, uh, they could hear the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so the fact that uh, there, even though Peter didn't really ask a question, he just said, look, master, the tree that you cursed yesterday is withered away. I think you can hear an implied question there, even if, if it's not stated. It, it's, uh, it seems that Peter is saying uh, not that, look, Jesus, what you said yesterday worked. He seems to be saying, Jesus, how did it work? And uh, the, the, the Jesus' response seems to bear that out because he answered them and said, have faith in God. Now, it, uh, and again, um, it wasn't really too long ago that it struck me. Why wouldn't these guys know? Jesus has talked to them about faith in a number of different ways and on a number of different occasions. He talked to them about using their faith to, uh, to exercise the authority that he's delivered unto them to cast out devils. He's talked to them about faith when he calmed the, the water when they were um, uh, in the, the boat going to the other side and the storm came up in the middle of the night. He's talked to him about faith when uh, Peter walked on the water. During a se- another time, Jesus was walking on the water and Peter came out to, to greet him or came out to, to meet Jesus at Jesus' word. Jesus talked to him about faith then too. How is it that these guys, after being with him for three years, don't know how faith works? Jesus obviously knew that they didn't because he didn't stop and just say, Peter, this is what I've taught you before over and over and over again. This is how faith works. And then just move on. He knew that, he did, that they didn't know and he gave them what, uh, what seems to me to be the most concise definition or explanation, maybe not definition, but explanation of faith, what it is and how it works of any other place in the scripture. Now, Jesus knows when he's going to the cross. He knows it's just in a matter of days. And so he's, uh, he's got one last opportunity to get it across to these guys. There's, uh, there's no other time that I'm, uh, that I'm aware of, uh, thinking offhand, I never really uh, haven't studied it out, but, uh, but I'm not aware of any time over the next five days that Jesus teaches them anything about faith or talks to them on the subject of faith. This is the last event, the last time that Jesus speaks to them about faith, and he gives them a comprehensive explanation of faith and how it works. And notice the first thing he says is have faith in God. Now, um, there are many different translations 
that, uh, that relate this in different ways. Most of them come down to two or three different ways, though. Of, uh, of all the translations out there, I've got about 150 that I have access to. Uh, there are three main ones. There, there may be enough, uh, you know, an offshoot here or there, but, uh, but most of them either say have the faith of God or have, the fa- or have faith in God. One translation says have the God kind of faith. Now, I like that better than have faith in God because the, the idea of having faith in God might lead some to think that Jesus is going to tell them just, just trust God, just believe in God, and God will do things. But everything Jesus says is not about what God does. It's about what you're supposed to do. So I don't really like have faith in God. I mean, I can see where it applies, and I don't really want to split hairs with people over words. But I like the, the uh, translation that says have the, have the faith of God. Now, there are three different times, three different scriptures in the New Testament where the Bible tells us about faith that comes from God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says that we're not to think more highly of ourselves, uh, more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith, not a measure of faith, the measure of faith. So Romans 12, 3 says faith is dealt from God. Well, if God's going to deal faith to mankind in, in the specific measure, What kind of faith is he going to deal? What kind of faith does God deal to mankind in what's called the measure of faith? Well, it would have to be the only kind that God has, which would be the God kind of faith. What other kind of faith would God have if it's not called the God kind of faith? He's not talking about human faith. God's not a human, so he can't be giving mankind human faith. So it's got to be the God kind of faith. Now, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For you're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it, faith, is the gift of God. Now, if God is giving faith, what kind of faith is he going to give? The only kind he's got. Again, that can't be human faith. That can't be the faith of man. It's got to be the God kind of faith. Right? Finally, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, if hearing comes by the word of God, in other words, faith is the result of hearing God's word or hearing God speak, What kind of faith is going to come from God's word? God's kind. So I like the the translation or I like at least the explanation. Have the God kind of faith. Now here's why that's important. It's important to realize that you as a child of God have the measure of the same kind of faith that God used to create the world. You've got the same measure, the same kind of faith that Jesus used to curse the fig tree and calm the sea. Say that after me. I have the measure of the God kind of faith. Now, faith doesn't grow in size. If faith grew in size, then some of us get bigger the more mature we get. And I'm not talking about bigger around. Faith grows in strength. The Bible talks about strong faith and weak faith. It talks about great faith and little faith. But again, it's not talking about size. It's talking about strength. So the measure of faith is something that can be developed. But the measure of faith, if if, if you never developed anything beyond the measure of faith that's dealt to you when you become a child of God, if the measure of faith is all you have, you still have enough to change every circumstance in your life. Well, Pastor Mike, if we've got the the God kind of faith, the measure that will do those kinds of things, same kinds of things that Jesus did, why aren't we doing them? Because we don't realize that's what we have. That's why Jesus is saying in his explanation, here's what faith is. Here's how faith works. Here's how the tree, the circumstance was changed. Have the God kind of faith. 
have the God kind of faith. Now, again, if Jesus has got one last shot before he goes to the cross to tell them about faith, what's he going to tell them? Well, he gives a comprehensive explanation. So we want to start reading again in verse 23 down through verse 26. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say unto you. Now, please notice that verse 24 starts with therefore. Now, what does therefore mean? Doesn't therefore mean because of what I just said in verse 23? The result of what I just said in verse 23 brings this additional truth. I would submit to you that the explanation of faith is verse 23. The modification to the principle in verse 23 is in verse 24. Here's how it works in prayer. But verse 24 doesn't change a thing. Verse 24 is the result of the principle, the truth of the principle of verse 23. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Notice verse 24 talks about prayer and the word pray or prayer is not in verse 23 in any form whatsoever. Verse 23 is the principle. It's the explanation. Here's what the God kind of faith is. And here's what the God kind of faith does. Verse 24, therefore, because this truth, because of this principle, because this is how faith works. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Verse 25, and when you stand praying, so he's not talking about the principle in verse 23. He's talking about the result of the principle in action, put in action through prayer. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught or anything against anyone, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. I believe verses 24, 25, and 26 is Jesus taking the the best last shot he can to say, here's what faith is in verse 23, and here's how it works in prayer. But now there's a condition to it. Make sure that there's no unforgiveness in your heart. Because your prayers won't work if there's unforgiveness. But what has that got to do with verse 23? Now don't get me wrong folks. I'm not trying to say that one part of this verse. Or one part of this passage is important. And the other part is not. I'm not trying to say that at all. What I'm trying to get across to you is. Jesus is explaining in the last week of his life. The last five days before he goes to the cross. He's explaining to the disciples. The question that they don't even ask. That he knows that they don't get. And that is, how did you change this circumstance? And Jesus answers and says, with the God kind of faith. For verily I say unto you. Now, it's not just for me, Jesus is saying. You have that too. Now, he's not saying you already have it. Because they really don't. They don't have the same kind of faith that you have. They don't have the same kind of faith that comes when we hear that Jesus has been risen from the dead. They can have the God kind of faith in Jesus being the Messiah sent to the earth at that point in time. But that's the only measure of the God kind of faith they've got. They don't have the measure of the God kind of faith like you and I received when we heard the good news of Jesus' resurrection. They're going to in just a few days though. Eight days from now or from this point in time, they'll receive that measure of faith, the measure of the God kind of faith. So he's saying have that, not just you have that. He's saying You should have this. Work to have this. For you and me, there's no work to it. We've already received it because we're in Christ. 
We've made Jesus the Lord of our lives, and that's when God deals to us or gives us the measure of faith. So he says, here's how this God kind of faith works. Verily I say unto you, truly this is how it works. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. What is your takeaway line from verse 23? What is Jesus emphasizing first and foremost in verse 23 about the operation, what it is, the explanation of of this God kind of faith, what it is and how it works? What's the takeaway? The words that you speak. Please notice in verse 23, say is in this verse in some form or another three times and believe is only in there once. There is three times the emphasis in the explanation that Jesus gives, the definition and the explanation of what faith is and how faith works that Jesus gave in his last shot at the disciples. After three years of walking with him here on the earth, Jesus makes three times the emphasis on your words as he does what you believe. Now, when the devil comes to tell you you don't have enough faith, what does he attack? He attacks the bleeding part. You know why? Because if you focus on the believing part instead of the saying part, you'll miss out. Brother Hagin used to say it this way. He said when the Lord asked him, the Lord really drew this to him, to his attention. He said, did you notice that say is in some form in this verse 23, Mark eleven twenty three, three times and believe is only there once? Brother Hagin had to count them off on his fingers. No, I didn't see that. He had to count them off on his fingers. Maybe we ought to do the same thing. Verse 23, for verily I say unto you, that's Jesus talking, so that one doesn't count. That whosoever shall say, there's one time for say, unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. There's one time for say, one time for believe. But shall believe that those things which he saith, there's two for say, one for believe. Those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Three times say, one time believe. Brother Hagin said the Lord spoke to him and said, you're going to have to do three times as much preaching on the saying part as you do the believing part for people to get it. Well, you're sure right about that. Because you get everybody trying to focus on the believing part. Pastor Mike, how do I know if I believe? How do I know if I'm believing? How do I know? How can I know if I've got faith? And they miss the saying part entirely. And Jesus emphasized the saying part. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. First thing Jesus taught, or the first thing Jesus taught them about this faith that changes circumstances is concerning the words of your mouth. Now, basically, Jesus is saying this. Jesus' explanation of the God kind of faith is this. Speak to the mountains with the understanding that you have to believe that what you say will come to pass. That's just how simple it is. Speak to the mountain with the understanding. Understanding is belief. With the understanding that what you say will come to pass. Now, why are we supposed to understand that what we say will come to pass? Because it's the eternal law of God that God established from the beginning with mankind. He told Moses, tell the people, I will deal with them according to the words that they've spoken in my ears. He told Abraham, this earth that I created for you, it's all under your dominion. Guard and keep it. Protect it and guard it. Protect it and keep it. Take care of it. 
how did in the world did Abraham's or did uh, Adam was Abraham? I'm sorry, what's his name? Adam. How in the world was Adam supposed to take care of the earth? Did God say, oh, by the way, there's an AK-47 in the back? Just around that tree over there, there's an arsenal. Thing called a rocket launcher, and boy, you're going to have fun with that. How's he supposed to guard and protect the earth? With the words of his mouth. How's he supposed to run the devil off? Same way Jesus ran the devil off when he was tempted in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus answered the devil, it is written. I wonder what Adam was supposed to do when the devil came to him and Eve and said, God doesn't want you to eat of the tree that he's forbidden because he knows you'll turn into gods like him. What was Adam supposed to do? Adam was supposed to say, no, wait a minute. God said, thou shalt not eat thereof, for then the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And if he had done that, Satan would have had no entrance into his life or into the earth in any way whatsoever. There's a part of me that wished Adam hadn't messed up. Except when I realize that we've got something better than Adam had because Jesus lives on the inside of us now. But it would have been that simple. Now, it's easy for me to say I wasn't the one being tempted. But the principle certainly is simple. So what is Jesus saying? Speak to the mountains. Speak to the mountains. Now, folks, there's, I want to talk to you tonight about the established heart. And I want you to turn with me back to, um, well, I'll tell you what, turn with me over to Second uh, Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. There are several times, uh, a number of times, that this phrase is used, but I just want to look at one and then we'll refer to some others perhaps. But I don't want to take our time to, to turn to all the, the places. You can look these up for yourself. But God establishes certain principles throughout the scripture. And these principles hold true in a variety of areas. If it's a principle of God, then it's the way that it works no matter what. Notice in first in second uh, Corinthians 13 verse one, Paul says in writing to the Corinthians, he said, this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Now, what is Paul saying? He's saying, I'm coming to tell you the same thing that I told you the first two times so that you'll understand when I tell you the third time that that establishes it. Now, Jesus uses exactly the same phrase in Matthew chapter 18 when he talks about if you've got something against your brother, go to him. Personally, if he won't listen to you, then take two or three other people because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. This is a principle that goes back to the Old Testament. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. It's a, it's a, it's a, a law of governing. You don't just take somebody's word for it. You want to make sure that there's evidence, there's witnesses, there's something to corroborate the story. But it's also true where the scripture itself is concerned. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And that's really what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 13. He's not saying you're going to hear it from me the third time. He's saying you're going to hear the word of God spoken by the Holy Ghost, by the unction of the Holy Ghost, three times with what I'm supposed to tell you. Because God's saying it to you three times to make sure you get it and understand this is from him. Well, in the same way, we don't build a doctrine off of just one scripture. Because it's, if it's of God, then it'll be given to us two or three times throughout Scripture. If there's a principle that God wants us to understand, if there's a principle of the kingdom of God, he'll show it to us two or three times. 
Now, this is a principle that is of God, and that is in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything is established. A minimum of two witnesses will, can establish anything. Now, here's how this works. There is one witness in the earth, and that's circumstance. There is another witness in heaven, and that's the word of God. You are the third piece of this triune witness. And whichever way you choose to, go, to join into establishes something. For example, well, while, I'm talking, while I'm saying this, why don't you turn back with me to Matthew chapter 12. For example, let's say that sickness attacks, attaches itself to your body in some form. Maybe the doctor tells you, here's the diagnosis. You've got, uh, you're diagnosed with cancer or whatever the case is. There is a witness in your flesh of cancer. Yet there is a witness that contradicts that one from the word of God that says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you were healed. Which one is going to be established in your life? Whichever one you join in with. So when Jesus says have the God kind of faith for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. He is saying very specifically you choose who you join in with according to your words or by your words. Now, with that in mind, did you find Matthew 12 yet? Let's start reading in verse... Uh, mm-hmm. Well, let's, start, let's pick up in verse 23, or 33. Jesus has been accused by the religious leaders of casting the devil out by the power of the devil. He's just cast the devil out of somebody and, then, and, and somebody makes the accusation, well, he's doing this by the power of the devil himself. And then Jesus explains that every kingdom divided against itself shall not stand and so on and so forth. And now he goes uh, beyond that to talking about the principle of one individual, any individual, producing both good fruit and evil fruit in his life. And so that's what he's talking about here when we begin in verse 33. He's saying either make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can you being evil? Now, this word evil does not mean evil intent. It means carnal, human, unredeemed. They're not evil because they're choosing to stand against God, although in many cases they are. They're evil because they've not been redeemed and they don't even know that they need a redeemer. They won't acknowledge their need for a savior. So he says, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man... Out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment for, here's why, for meaning because, because by your words thou shalt be justified and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now notice what he's saying. He's saying your words determine what's going to happen for you. Your words determine not only your eternity, but your words are going to determine what happens to you here on the earth. Justification in the sight of God or condemnation in the sight of God is going to be determined by your words. Now, notice what he's saying. He says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. Let's talk. We, we meant to use the example of healing for a moment ago. We didn't finish the illustration, but we, we started with that. and We'll go back to it a little bit. Where does healing come from? See, many people will say, we know healing is good. Acts 10, 38 said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing. So healing had to be good. 
God said it was good. The Holy Ghost says it's good. So where do good things proceed from? Where do good things originate? See, a lot of people look for healing and they'll say, well, healing comes from heaven. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said healing, good things like healing, including healing, comes from the inside of a man, the heart of the spirit of man. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart produces good things. You know where prosperity comes from? You know where the desire to to provide for your family? The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You know where provision and and, uh, what we would call prosperity comes from? It doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from God doing something or pulling strings here on the earth. It comes out of the heart of man. It comes out of the good treasure of a good man's heart. Now how do we put a good treasure... In our hearts. How do we make ourselves to be a person of good treasure? Well, the good treasure is the word of God. So what he's saying is the word of God is established in your life by your words. And there's always going to be a competing witness. Sickness comes and attaches itself to your body. It's trying to get the devil's trying to get you to side in with him. He's trying to get you to use your words to establish sickness. And unless you choose to side in with him in the circumstances, maybe even the doctor, well-meaning doctors report, he has no way to establish that sickness in your life or in your body except through the use of your own mouth. Proverbs 6, 2 says, Thou art snared with the words of your mouth. Thou art taken with the words of your mouth. You know how the Bible says the devil is the deceiver? The road that he travels on is deception. How does the devil deceive you? He deceives you, deceives mankind by keeping them in the dark of the importance of their words to establish whatever they're going to have in their own lives. But on the other hand, we say, well, the doctor says that I've got cancer. I reject that. I don't believe in cancer. That doesn't mean I don't believe it exists. I do believe it exists. I just don't believe it has a right to stay in me. I don't believe it has a right to attach itself to my body. Because the Bible says, another witness says, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. So I choose to side in with the witness from God, the witness of God's word. The Bible says, Jesus said, that by my words, I'll produce the good things that the Bible says belongs to me. So then now I've got two against one. Me and my words speaking what God's word says are two witnesses that establish the word of God in and for me. Now, Jesus said that I'll have what I say. So you know what that means? That means the third witness, which is my body, will line up. You remember in James chapter 3? I think we looked at that last week. James chapter 3 says this about the tongue. It says it likens the tongue to the bits that are in the horse's mouths and the rudder of a ship, a great ship. It says, even though the the horse is bigger and stronger than a man, a man can turn or control the horse's body and the horse's strength through this little bitty tiny thing that's stuck in its mouth. And in the same way, a ship, no matter how great it is, no matter how many gallons of water it disperses or displaces or however they measure stuff like that nowadays, no matter how big the ship is, it has a relatively small rudder, a small member in relation to the size of the ship that controls the direction of the ship. James is saying by the Holy Ghost that a man that that controls or bridles his tongue. In other words, a man that uses his words rightly 
is able to bring under control his whole body. Now, let me say that in a couple of different ways for you to understand what he's saying. He's saying your tongue controls your body. He's saying your body will obey your words. Your body will obey your words. Isn't it interesting that the body doesn't obey God's word? It obeys your words. Why? Because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. The word of God is not established in your heart or in your life unless you speak in line with what God's word says about you. You've got to join your witness in with a second witness in order for that word to be established. Do you understand what I'm saying? Turn back with me to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as high as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and returns not there, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. In other words, he's saying, the word works like the water cycle. The word of God works like the water cycle. What does the water cycle work like? How does that work? Rain comes down from heaven. It waters the earth. The sun beats down on the ground. It evaporates and goes back up into heaven. There's a cycle, a continuous cycle. It's called the water cycle. The water come evaporating back into the heavens causes the moisture in the, in the clouds that causes rain to come back down at a, few, it's a, at a future date or a, a, a time appointed later on. And as such, it says, so shall my word be. Just like the rain comes down from heaven and returns back to me, returns back unto heaven, so shall my word be. Now, what is he saying? He's saying God sends his word to the earth. But the word, in order to produce results, has to return back to him. But how does it return unto him? He explains, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. Void of what? Void of power. It shall not return unto me void. You know how the Bible says in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, I think it's verse 3. It says, uh, no, this is uh, Hebrews chapter 1 about verse 3. It says that God is upholding all things by the word of his power. A lot of times people get that mixed up. A lot of times people will quote that verse of scripture and they'll say, God's upholding all things by the power of his word. That's not what the scripture says. And here's the reason why. If it said the power of his word, then that would imply that God has other power outside of his word. But that's not true. Remember, Paul said in Romans 1.16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the, is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is the gospel of Jesus? Is Paul saying that the good news, the information... Of what Jesus did on the cross is the power of God. No. That's not what he's saying. Because somebody could have that knowledge. And it never go any further. Never produce any results. The gospel of Jesus. The word gospel means good news. But the good news is supposed to be proclaimed. It's supposed to be spoken. In other words it's saying. The spoken word about what Jesus has accomplished. Is the power of God. Now, it's certainly the power of God that will bring somebody into salvation. But, folks, I would submit to you that it's also the power of God that will bring a believer into healing. 
the spoken word about what Jesus did to take the chastisement of our peace upon him will, be, will bring a believer into prosperity. The good things that a good man brings forth out of the good treasure of his heart. We're not talking about just for the unsaved. Don't think the gospel of Jesus is just for the unsaved. The gospel of Jesus is for everybody. It brings the unsaved into the family of God, but the gospel of Jesus is still yours once you're in the family of God. Because Jesus did a lot more than just open the door for you to come into the family. There's a lot of benefits that belong to you now that you're a family member. And it all comes down to words. It all comes down to words. Paul was told by, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, when Peter was relating the story in Acts chapter 10 about uh, uh, when the angel showed him all, the, all the, the beasts of the field and the sheep that was let down from heaven. Cornelius had been sent to the household to find Peter. Peter was told what happened and now recounts, recounts it to the, to the council in Jew, Jerusalem. And he says that the angel told Cornelius, Go look for Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. People are saved by words. People are delivered by words. People are healed by words. People are made prosperous by words. So what is Jesus saying in Mark chapter 11 verse 23? Here's how the God kind of faith works. It works through words. Because the never changing law of God is that man has been given dominion here on the earth. And what he says goes in his own life. And what you say doesn't go for my life. And what I say doesn't necessarily go for your life. But what you say goes in your life. Can you see it? So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, void of power, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. You know what that means? That means there are healing scriptures. Healing scriptures spoken. Release the power of God to accomplish healing. Prosperity scriptures spoken. Release the power of God to bring somebody into blessing. Salvation scriptures spoken. The confession of Jesus being our Lord spoken. Bring somebody into the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying my word works just like the water circle, the water cycle. It comes down from heaven. It has power, and as soon as it's sent back to heaven, it accomplishes what I sent it to do. There is no word that is void of power, but it has to be sided in with. You know what I mean by that? You've got to take sides with God's word against the witness that's in your flesh or in your circumstances. Jesus took sides with God's word when he cursed the fig tree. Now, what word of God did he take sides with? God said, I'll deal with man according to what he's spoken in my ears. Man has been given dominion here on the earth. Jesus is a righteous man. He's a righteous man under the old covenant. He stands in the same place as Adam. Because he was born of a virgin, he's not subject to the law of sin and death that Adam brought upon mankind. He's operating free from the law of sin and death, which means he has the same dominion on the earth that Adam had. So when Jesus speaks to the tree, the tree is obligated to obey him. Because Jesus is still the master of the tree. Guess what? The Bible says that Jesus has abolished death for you and me. The law of sin and death no longer holds you. 
The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes us free from the law of sin and death. Do you know what that means? That means sickness is under our authority. We can be sickness's master. We can be poverty's master. We can be master over everything that Jesus purchased for us. And it all comes through words. So what chance does the devil have to get us operating in sickness or poverty or whatever else? Deception. If he deceives us about what belongs to us or about what we have. A lot of people are deceived into thinking they don't have the measure of the God kind of faith. They can't do what Jesus did because Jesus was the son of God. That's why he did all this good stuff. And so they never established the word of God in their lives. There's two words that are used in the, in the New Testament for established. They, the, there's a little bit of, shade, a little bit of difference in, uh, in the meanings, but basically they, they, they have the same uh, common ground in this regard. To establish means to set a position, to fix a certain position. It carries with it the characteristic uh, or the, the, uh, pers- the uh, traits of a position of strength and a position of permanence. The thought is an issue has been considered settled on and now we've we're done with that we're going to be in this place this is our position and this is our position from now on now folks you need to understand something the bible says in a number of different ways david may have said it the best way in psalm 119 he said forever O lord thy word is settled in heaven forever O lord thy word is settled in heaven the word of god is settled in heaven it is not settled on the earth it is settled in heaven what settles it in the earth What settles it in the earth for you in your life is you taking sides with it. Because that makes two witnesses, and in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So when you take sides with the word of God, by speaking the word of God, by saying what God's word says about you or about your circumstance, you are establishing God's word in your life. And you're the only one that can You're the only one that can establish the word of God in your own life. And you do it through the words of your mouth. Jesus said, have the God kind of faith. What's the God kind of faith do, Jesus? For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say, the God kind of faith speaks. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Here's what you got to understand. Believing is easy once you understand but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Why are we supposed to believe? How is it that we're supposed to understand that what we say will come to pass? Because that's the way God set it up. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I don't feel like it works that way. It works that way whether you feel it or not. Because all you've got to do is take sides against God's word and watch that come to pass. Look at the people that stand up and say, pray for me. I've got cancer. What good is praying for them going to do? They just established in their life that they've got cancer. Are you out there? Now, it's perfectly, perfectly legitimate to say, well, the doctors diagnosed me with cancer, but pray for me because I believe God's word that says Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I'm healed. So I've got conflicting witnesses. I take sides with God's word. You're the only one that can do that, folks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, an evil treasure of the heart means anything and everything except the word of God. 
Anything contrary to the word of God. When Jesus says either make the tree good or make it corrupt, he's talking about trees being good or corrupt, people being good or being corrupt, producing good or corrupt fruit based on the words of their mouths. He said either make it good or make it corrupt. One or the other. You can't do both. Take sides with God's word. God's word carries power. It is the word of his power. It's not the power of his word. Do you realize that you've got the measure of the same kind of faith that keeps the universe moving and working and operating the way that it was designed to? God's upholding all things by the word of his power. That word of his power is the same thing that upholds you. We start thinking like this. The devil will start running and hiding from us. We'll get up in the morning. He'll turn tail and run. Have I added anything to scripture? It's exactly what the Bible says. Well, why haven't we done this? Well, I think in one respect, for some at least, we didn't know. Jesus said, or the the word of God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Not knowing what belongs to us makes us easy, easy prey and easy targets for the devil. But others, I think they see a glimpse of it, but it just seems too far beyond them. They just think, well, I just can't do that. Well, if God said you can, you can. Jesus said, have the God kind of faith. That's available for anybody and everybody that is willing to operate in it. Have the God kind of faith. You do have the God kind of faith. You're in a better situation than the apostles that Jesus spoke that to. Because you've been dealt the measure of faith. The measure, the measure, not a measure, the measure of the God kind of faith. Paul said it this way. We having the same spirit of faith, we having the same spirit of faith, same spirit of faith is who? Same spirit of faith is God. We believe and therefore we speak. We believe and therefore we speak. We believe and therefore we speak. Say this after me. I have a measure, the measure of the God kind of faith. I believe that my words come to pass. When I speak and take sides with God's word, I establish the word of God in my life. There is no power that the devil has that is stronger than God and I taking sides with his word. The established word cannot be overcome. So I choose to say what God's word says. Amen. I hope you meditate on this. You start figuring out and start understanding, start accepting the fact that your body obeys your words. You start accepting the fact that circumstances change in your life and adjust in your life according to what you say in line with what God's word has already spoken about you. You'll put the devil on the run for the rest of his days. He won't come looking for you anymore. He'll start running away from you. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be doers of your word. Thank you, Father, for the measure of the God kind of faith that dwells in each one of us. We thank you, Father, that because you gave man authority here on the earth, restored that authority through the work and the sacrifice, the resurrection of Jesus, we thank you, Father, that what we say goes. 
Therefore, we choose to take sides with your word, Father, to establish your word. The word that's forever settled in heaven is forever settled for us. So we choose to speak healing and health. We choose to speak prosperity and blessing. We choose to speak peace and love. We choose to speak in line with that which God has made us through Jesus. We thank you, Father, that it's done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.